Welcome to the Pardes Parsha podcast. My name is Tzvi Hirschfield, and I have the distinct privilege and pleasure of discussing the profound analysis and deep insights into the Parsha from my wonderful colleagues at the Pardes Institute. So glad you could join us. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome back to another Parsha podcast. We are on Parshat Chaye Sarah. And I want to acknowledge that, as we do with all of these, we actually record them a few weeks early. So unfortunately, we are still in the midst of a war, the second week, and the topic, it may come up, it may not, but I just want you to know that this is what we're experiencing, and this also affects our feeling in the room, and uh, it's a difficult time, but we believe it's really important to uh, move forward and continue learning Torah and teaching Torah, and so we are moving forward. So here I am with my colleague, Alana Gleischer Bloom, who is also the director of PEEP, the Pardes Experiential Educators Program. I got the right. Welcome, Alana. Hello. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure, and thank you for agreeing to do this. So it's a complicated parsha, right? And uh, even though it's called Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, we know that it's really about the death of Sarah, and death sort of hangs over to some degree what's happening in this parsha. And so what do you make of that? The death of Sarah is sort of the title of what's going to happen in this parsha. Well, obviously, I think everyone, when you read Torah and the power of reading Torah and rereading it and reading it every year, is that you come to it from whatever's going on in your life. So obviously, as Fee mentioned, we're in the middle of a war here. We're in the middle of a horrific devastation. And so I, when I started reading the Parsha, I started thinking about grief and response to death. And so I was looking at this as Chaye Sarah. It's the life of Sarah, but it's the response to the life and the death of Sarah, of Avraham and Yitzhak. Okay. So if I understand you correctly, you're pointing us in a direction that each of these two great figures, Avram and Yitzhak, are, their actions can be understood in the context of grief and loss, and yet they don't engage it the same way. Yes. And they don't even engage with each other. They don't even talk to each other. We don't even see them interact at all. That's true. That is very striking. There's no dialogue there. No. In fact, the only thing that happens later on is directed at Yitzhak to find a wife for Yitzhak. But yeah. the one person missing in that conversation, of course, is... Yitzhak. Right. He's gone. So what do you make of what's happening here? Give me your sense of Avram and Yitzhak in this context. Okay. So last we th- saw these two together was at the famous Akedah Yitzhak, when Avraham almost sacrificed his son. And after that, we don't know where Yitzhak is. We don't hear from him. Now we hear that Sarah has died. And the first thing Avraham does is find her a burial place, and he makes sure that he has paid for it, and that he has his receipts, and that nobody could tell him this isn't his land. He has it. He's prepared. He's planning for the future of being in this land and of making sure no one questions his burial plot. And then the next thing he does is say, like, all right, I got to get my son married. Who's going to do this? Who am I going to talk to about it? My Eved, my servant. So again, Yitzhak, no idea where he is. But we have this Eved, this servant, who is seems very loyal. He is ready to go do whatever Avram tells him. Avram tells him, you got to find him a wife. The wife cannot be from this neighborhood. She needs to be from where I came from. And the Eved agrees to go. And we hear a lot from the Eved. We hear all about his journey, how he prays to God. He's nervous. Here's what he says. Here's what he thinks. And in the meantime, again, silence from Yitzhak. 
don't know where he is. You know, it's striking. We even get the whole repetition, right? Yeah. We get the story, and then the Eved tells over the whole same story again. Yes. And so what you're pointing out is it's quite striking. Avram is active. The Eved is in the spotlight in this Parsha, and yet Yitzchak is nowhere to be seen up until the very end. Yeah. It's so interesting to me that the Eved has such a primary role and that Avraham and the Eved have conversation. And it's interesting to me that Avraham talks to the Eved. He does not talk to Yitzchak. Like, your wife died and you haven't spoken to your son about it, but you're making all these plans for your son. You really want to make sure that everything goes exactly right. That's what I was seeing from Avraham is he's thinking, okay, I need to make sure I have this burial place and I need to make sure that the future is set where I have this breed with God. I have this covenant with God that there's going to be a great nation. That nation's going to come from Yitzchak. And I need to make sure that he has the right wife for this. And it can't be from the neighboring. I mean, I was thinking, and I think there are some um, Afarshim who also say this, that he it can't be someone from the neighboring community because then Yitzchak might go like assimilate into the neighbors. And he might become friends with the neighbors, too friendly. Maybe he's not really doing his own thing. And um, he can't leave to find his own wife because if he leaves, he might not come back. So there's not a lot of trust of Avraham to Yitzchak. Avraham seems to be making all the plans and making sure it happens in his own way without consulting Yitzchak. And how do you see, if I understand you correctly, how do you see that related as a response to the loss of Sarah? In times of grief, sometimes there might be people who just want to act as soon as it happens. Like, a, okay, this horrible thing happened. So now what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I need to make sure that everything is going to be okay in the future. And okay, I think, to Avraham means that the Brit is going to be fulfilled that he is set, that his family is set in this land, and that they're going to have a nation that's going to come from Yitzhak. And do you understand that from the perspective of death is in front of you, and he actually goes, he cries for her, and he eulogizes her. She's literally there in front of him, the body's in front of him. That Do you think it comes from a sense of, wow, my own mortality is now in front of me? Or do you understand him as, this is the only way he can respond to his grief, is by being in full active mode? I think it's probably both. I think Avraham is getting older and I think he wants to plan for what the world and his world will look like when he is gone. Also, I I think that there is a piece of grief that there are some people who don't want to sit with it. They don't want to think about it. They want to just move, 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 act, act, act. How can I work through this? And like the fact that Avraham doesn't even talk to Yitzhak, at least for me, the way I was looking at that was that he doesn't want to be reminded of his wife's death. He's not having that conversation with Yitzhak. They're not supporting each other. They're not with each other. He is just moving from action to action and plan to plan. We don't even know if I'm correct. We don't even know how Yitzhak finds out. No. We no, don't even we don't. know if he's there in Hebron at the time when uh, the burial is happening, yeah. right? He's he it seems like you could even theorize he's he's already struck out on his own to some extent. And uh, although he's Avram is still sort of in charge of him in terms of finding him a wife. So Avram is in a mode of doing. He wants to ensure the future. He wants to make sure Yitzchak is married. He wants to make sure he starts to acquire land in the land of Israel. He's looking towards fulfillment of the covenant. Yitzchak comes up very strongly at the end of the Parsha after that long description of what's happening over there in Haran. Where do you see Yitzchak in terms of his processing or his reaction? So Yitzchak, this is so fascinating to me says that Yitzchak is coming back. There's a strange word there, and it's unclear what exactly it means. I'm not going to get totally into it, but all we know is that he is coming back, potentially going back and forth from a place called Be'er Lechai Roi, which is 
the well of the living one who sees me. So he is at this well, and we have seen this well before. Ah, seen again. We know about this well because Hagar was there when she got pregnant with Yishmael. She got pregnant with Avraham to have her son Yishmael. And as soon as she got pregnant, the Torah says that Sarah was either oppressing her or terrible to her in some way. And Hagar ran off to this well. And when she was there, an angel came to her and told her you should go back to Sarah, go back to the house. And she, Hagar, named this place Be'er Lechai Roi. So that's what we know about this place. Why is Yitzchak there? What is he doing there? Well, especially because Hagar is the competing mother, yeah. right? It's 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 very evocative that she appears here, right? She's the 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 mother of the child that was rejected yep. in favor of Yitzchak. So it is odd. Why would he go back? It's I don't want to say it's the enemy camp, but it's like the alternative story to his story. Why do you think he's going back to that well? I really think that I think there are a few different options. So. Rashi says that he goes there to find Hagar, to bring Hagar to be Avraham's new wife. Wow. So that's, <laughs> that's one option. So wait, so Yitzchak is presented in the Midrash as this, this ultimate child of Chesed, right? He doesn't hesitate to go back and find the stepmother that he obviously had. We don't even know a kind of relationship if he ever had because uh, Yishmael and Hagar are kicked out when he's presumably very, very young. But he actually, in thinking of his father, wants his father to be consoled and not be alone. He actually goes and finds this this stepmother and brings her back. Potentially. I think I was thinking about it more about like Yitzchak's own needs than his needs for Avraham. Maybe he's going to find Hagar to be with Avraham, but also maybe he's going to have Hagar be a mother figure to him because Avraham is not present for him. At least we don't see Avraham being present for him. And the last communication we've seen was after he tried to kill him. So he might be having some trust issues right now. And maybe he had a relationship with Hagar. Maybe he's looking for comfort and he's looking for a mother figure. And so he goes to this place potentially to find her, which is also interesting because Avraham's whole thing is that he doesn't want Yitzchak to integrate into the neighboring communities and maybe Yitzhak needs integration. Maybe he needs people around. Who knows? But he is going to this place. And we don't know if Hagar is there because also he could be going there because he knows an angel had appeared there. He's going there because he wants to be alone. He wants to pray. He's a contemplative guy because the next thing we see is that he is lasuach basadeh. He's in the field and maybe conversing, talking, meditating, praying. He's doing the Gemara in Brachot looks at that as the model for how we got to the Mincha service is that Yitzchak was, he's doing some sort of prayer. And so maybe that is like Yitzchak as a contemplative figure. Both of those scenarios, he's, he's acting on emotion. He's acting on uh, some type of search for something. He is operating on a very different level than his father, Avraham, is operating. He is meditating, thinking, seeking, but he's doing something else. Yeah, he is, I would say that, Whereas Avraham is looking, I don't know if he's doing it intentionally, but whereas Avraham is planning and doing and moving forward, Yitzhak is looking for something, comfort, prayer, contemplation. Um, and I God, think, maybe he's looking yeah. for God. And at the end, what's also interesting, and I think what helps back up that Yitzhak is looking for comfort, is that at the end, when he does end up marrying Rivka, it says that he found comfort 
from Rivka after his mother's death. And moves her into his mother's yep. tent. That Rivka becomes the comfort. And so he then, you're saying that that closing piece puts everything that he's doing up until now in the context of dealing with his loss, of missing his mother and needing his mother and the search for God, the search for Hagar even, whatever it might be, he is dealing with all these difficult feelings in contrast to his father, who is very much about working towards the future, right? Yeah. Sarah is gone, and now we have to, to put everything in place for the future. And, and Yitzchak perhaps is actually in the past grieving. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting, another thing that I think supports this idea is that Avraham, at the end of the Akedah, Avraham says that he calls the place, he calls Haramoriah, he calls it Adonai Yira'eh, that God will see. And Yitzhak doesn't go to the place God will see, this future tense of God will see. He goes to a place that was called Ro'i, God who sees me. So there's these two places, the future, thinking about God will see, what, what is God going to do in the future? And then the present of God is seeing me. And maybe Yitzchak is looking to be somewhere where maybe God will see him. Maybe Hagar will see him. Maybe someone will see him. Whereas Avraham is like, this mountain is the place God will see. And this Yitzchak, this son of mine, he is the person who will have this nation. And everything is about this future nation and the future land. Do you think, is it your sense that perhaps Yitzchak is not on board with that responsibility yet? That maybe he has not really internalized the idea that with Saragon and Avram old, it's now on to him to be the next patriarch, the next person in line. And maybe he doesn't feel ready for that. Maybe that's all the contemplation. Maybe that's what, maybe he is taking it seriously and knows that he needs time to think and reflect. And maybe he also knows that he needs a partner, that he can't actually be alone, that he needs this comforting partner to help him. And maybe that's why at the end, when he has Rivka, he is comforted. Maybe he is ready. She reassures him that he, in fact, is ready to take that place. Potentially, right? yeah. And in the next Parsha, that's really mm -hmm. what's going to happen, right? The story shifts to him, and you're sort of describing he's going through that process, enabling the story to shift over to him. And maybe his father helped him with that. We don't know. But it's interesting that they are separate in this story, and we don't have that scene of Avram putting his hands on Yitzchak's head and saying, okay, now it's you. So I, I want to then come to this question. You sort of laid out two different models of dealing with grief and trauma and death. And it's hard not to put that in the context that we're in. Unfortunately, I would like to say the whole Jewish people, but certainly the whole state of Israel is mourning an incredible amount of death. Uh, numbers and, and everyone's affected and there's nobody who doesn't know somebody and there's nobody who hasn't been to a funeral or had or been to a shiva. And death is so present and loss is so present. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about each of these models and, and how you see them and understand them. I've been saying to a lot of my friends who are asking me from America what's going on here, we're over a week past the horrible, horrible massacre. And I keep saying that it still feels like the whole country is a Shiva house. It's like we're at a Shiva house everywhere we go. And I think that even in the Shiva house time, like even in this time that we're still sitting Shiva, people are responding in different ways. And there are so many WhatsApp groups that are amazing, that are just links of places to volunteer, where to go. Everyone is 
getting stuff together so quickly and it's an energy that is amazing but also feels to me uh, feels a little like a manic energy of just needing to put the emotion somewhere of like okay this horrible horrible thing happened what can we do what can we do what can we do to help and just this need to not i don't know if people aren't thinking about it. i think everyone's thinking about it but i think it also has to do with trying to feel like you're doing something and so maybe there is this piece of grief maybe with Avram, maybe he just wanted to feel like he's doing something that he's planning for the future that he's going to ensure that even though Sarah is dead, even though he's not even seeing his son, he's going to make sure that the Brit that God has promised him, that it's going to happen. And I think in Israel, there are just, I mean, a lot of good is coming from that energy. And I also am so worried for everyone here, just safety wise. And I'm also worried for when will we sit in the grief? I, I Maybe I'm, there are so many people who are, I'm sure, sitting in it, but it sort of feels like this energy of of trying to do, like, I know a lot of my energy is focused around trying to figure out what I'm teaching in my classes at Pardes and also trying to figure out I have three small children, when they're going to school, how am I going to volunteer at the school? Do they need armed guards? Should we pay for security? All of that. Like, I'm, I'm using my energy on that and I'm not thinking about the details of what happened and they come in pieces. Like, in pieces, I get pieces of news that I don't, uh, and um, at some point, I know for me personally, I'm going to have to sit with it and everyone's going to sit with it and what's going to happen you know i think part of it is we're a country at war and so there's a sense of we don't have the luxury to grieve right now we have to yeah. fight but it does raise i think i'm also very afraid like what's going to happen god willing when the fighting will be over and it should be over soon there is going to be an incredible amount of grief and sadness and pain that people are then going to start you know, to follow Yitzchak's path, go out to the field, look for an angel, find some way to find comfort that he found. We're going to be a nation in search of comfort, you know, and it's like, it scares me. Like you read in Eicha when your Miyahu says, you know, who can comfort the Jewish people? Mi Achem, right? How could we ever find comfort? And it scares me what's coming next. Yeah, me too. I just hope that the comfort we find is actually comforting and peaceful and reminds us of our humanity. So if I understand you correctly, right now we're in Avram mode, yeah. but we're going to ultimately need to be in Yitzchak mode because that's part of healing. Yeah. And because of the numbers of people who were killed, I have the luxury of being able to be in Avraham mode, of being able to go to work, of being able to teach. But the number of people who have immediate relatives who are or friends or killed or, teachers or missing, or... Yeah, they don't have that comfort and they are working through a lot and they also are in grief now, will be in grief. And we have to think also about like, even though I am grieving, this wasn't first person directly connected to me. So I also have to think about ways that I can support a country of grievers, of mourners. Then what, I'm gonna ask this question because I'm asking myself this question, where do you turn to find the strength to now confront all that? Like where's your well where you know you can feel the living one, so to speak, looking at you. Where do you feel like you need to go to gather that strength? I actually think this is going to sound like, I don't know, maybe cheesy, but learning Torah for this podcast, I was reading through a lot of my farshim. I was reading the Parsha. I was trying to see what spoke to me. I was like deep into it. And it really allowed me to just focus on Torah. And that helped. I find Torah very moving. 
And I find like a deep sense of connection to all Jewish people when I'm learning Torah. And I also think like I haven't really been able to do this so much, but if I could like going to any sort of like community where we're all like saying to him together, it's so weird because I'm not like a person who really is so into davening, honestly, I'm going to admit it. But I think communal to him are actually powerful in this moment. I'm laughing as I say it because I just I could never have imagined myself being a person that would say that out loud. But there's something about coming together as a group and being with other people, although it's hard because we're not technically supposed to be with too many people because of the rules from um, the home front command. So it's complicated. Right. But that sense that we need to be with our community, yeah. uh, even though sometimes it just intensifies the feeling because everyone is just so down. But that sense of to need to connect and to maybe be present for other people is an important thing we can take on. So maybe the positive takeaway is that death happens in this Parsha, but the story continues and the covenant continues and there is a moving forward. You know, it's very hard. I know myself very hard to see that right now. It, you know, that whole, that whole light at the end of the tunnel thing. I'm in a tunnel. I don't really see the light. But maybe when we learn Torah, it encourages us to believe that light is there. We can't see it yet, but that light is there and it will reappear at some point, and maybe we have to help each other find it in some way or help each other through that tunnel where there is no light to maybe move forward a little bit. Amen. Wow. I didn't think we would get that dark, but maybe that's where we are, and that's why this is authentic, because it's a very hard time. So, Alana, I want to thank you for being so honest and open and sharing, I think, a piece of Torah that was really appropriate and needed at this time. So first of all, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. And I know we are all praying that by the time you are listening to this, that light has already appeared at the end of that tunnel and that things are looking a lot better and we're going to pray that that happens. So on that note, thank you for listening and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to the Pardes Parsha podcast recorded here at Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and gained some new insights and perspectives on the Torah portion. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to exploring the Torah with you again next week on the Pardes Parsha podcast. Shabbat Shalom.